Welcome to Out on a Limb, where traditional finance and the new digital economy converge with a sense of history. Today is our 10th podcast. It is the 8th of November at 3.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So today there's a lot to talk about, and we don't even get very far into the election to have it. Just some insane developments with respect to Binance and uh, FTX. The, the, the story begins actually on November 2nd when Coindesk released a report that most of the assets of Alameda, which are Sam Bankman-Fried's or SBF's main investment vehicle, consisted of FTT or the FTX trading token where you get a discount for on trading fees and on transfer fees if you own a bunch of a bunch of them. Pretty much a standard approach for for uh, most exchanges. Binance has its tokens, et cetera, et cetera. So then we started an interesting game of chicken because what happened then is Binance, which is sitting on half a billion FTT because of some of the fallout from Celsius. And keep in mind, uh, Sam, SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried had saved a lot of companies or at least stopped them from going completely under uh, by buying their liquid assets with, with his own liquid assets. So he had done, uh, he, Sam, had done a lot to uh, preserve the, the crypto space. Um, CZ, the guy that runs Binance, had not, had not been nearly that active, although he had, he had also done, done quite a bit. Once all the dust settled, something very interesting happened. First, Sam didn't end up with a lot of liquidity because he had spent most of it on other assets that were actually quite illiquid. Binance, on the other hand, had a ton of liquidity. Now, by threatening to sell FTT on the market, which is what, which is what CZ did, what you ended up with is a real threat to the price of, of FTT. Now, that in and of itself, had it been some other token not related to exchange, probably wouldn't have been so bad. But what it ended up doing was put, putting pressure on FTX as an exchange because, of course, it was backing FTT. And once folks started getting worried about FTT, they started getting worried about the exchange. And then FTX faced a massive drop in liquidity. Amazingly enough, two and a half days ago, there were 20,000 Bitcoin sitting on FTX. And if you think about that at 20,000 each, you're talking about $4 billion worth of BTC. By yesterday, there was one Bitcoin on FTX. It's got to be one of the biggest shifts of Bitcoin in a shorter period, in a short period of time that we've ever seen. Just a huge withdrawal. At the same time, if you look at USDC and USDT numbers, uh, by the way, Binance is ranked the number one exchange. Uh, FTX is number seven, but it's by far the most dynamic. So from one perspective, they're one and two in the world. Uh, the Binance had well over a billion dollars of liquidity in both USDC and USDT. Uh, by yesterday, FTX had $50 million. And it usually doesn't have as, as much as Binance, but it's usually got far more than that. So what happens when there is a run? 
if you're uh, run on an exchange, if you're somebody like Coinbase that doesn't doesn't uh, allow a lot of leverage, you're really going to be sitting. And Coinbase happens to be sitting on approximately 101 billion dollars worth of client assets. Uh, it's also sitting on 101 billion dollars of liabilities. So if there were a total run on Coinbase tomorrow, it could meet it. The issue with FTX is that it offers leverage, sometimes a lot of leverage. And if you have small numbers because the math is easier, $1,000 that you're leveraging to buy an asset, uh, 20 to 1, let's say, so you own $20,000 worth of that asset. And that asset, the price of that asset starts to go down and may pass your margin call or liquidation price quickly. You're going to lose your $1,000, but the exchange itself has bought the $20,000 worth of assets. And if those assets drop by more than $1,000 before uh, the trade can be unwound, which happens in a liquidity crunch, then the exchange is on the hook for the entire amount of the loss, less the $1,000 that you use to secure it. And as a result of that, when an exchange offers leverage, it's actually in a much more precarious situation overall in terms of leverage. And that crunched FTX. It just got squished because everybody was pulling out their assets. Um, asset prices were going down and FTX had to delay withdrawals. Now, when that happens, you have to ask yourself, what is FTX worth? So it's got um, more liabilities than assets at that point in time. So it's worth as a company isn't becomes negative. And a really good metaphor for what uh, SBF did is, strangely enough, uh, flying in an aircraft. Let's say you're in an aircraft with a child and during the that standard safety brief at the beginning of the flight, the stewards or stewardesses always announce that if the oxygen masks fall out of the ceiling, put it on yourself and then put it on your child. And your instinct, if you're a parent, is to put it on your child first. But the fact of the matter is, if you put it on the child and you lose consciousness, in the long run, it's going to be much worse for your child if you're not there to help him or her through whatever comes next. So although it, it, it may be difficult to do, you have to take care of yourself first to make you sur make sure you survive and then put the mask on your on your child, even if he or she falls unconscious, will regain consciousness fairly quickly after you put the mask on. So that's to say, that's, this is exactly what uh, SBF didn't do. He put the mask on the child. He very magnan magnanimously s tried to save the crypto space, not doing necessarily what was good for him, but was doing what was good for the space, in, in his opinion. And he didn't take care of himself. He didn't put the gas mask on at all. He lost consciousness lost liquidity in this case, before he was able to, uh, or after he was able to save his, his child, let's say, but not able to save himself. Uh, a good lesson, if you're going to even do something philanthropic, if your business doesn't survive, you can't be philanthropic. And that's really what caught him out. Uh, a, a noble effort, one can say, but he still ends up selling, uh, will end up selling his very valuable exchange, again, worth $32 billion a couple days ago for little or even negative amount. So here's, here's my first out on a limb for today's 
uh, for today's podcast, and that is Binance will buy STX, FTX for zero money or for negative money. Negative means Sam Bankman-Fried is going to have to pay, pardon me, have to pay CZ to take FTX off his hands. Why would the value be negative? Because to meet the liquidity crunch, Binance is going to have to put more money into FTX simply to cover that liquidity. And it may agree to, say, cover $200 million worth of a liquidity crunch in exchange for $100 million from Sam Bankman-Fried. So literally, SBF is going to have to pay CZ to take FTX off his hands. Zero or negative price. Now, how does that work? Believe it or not, the, at the last fundraise, the value of FTX was $32 billion. CZ is going to buy it for a song, uh, either which he has to sing or the other guy has to sing. It is absolutely mind-boggling when the biggest and fastest destructions of value that the uh, crypto sector has ever seen, much faster and bigger than Celsius or 3 Arrows Cap, 3AC or some of the others. Just absolutely amazing. Now, not only did that $32 billion disappear, so all the shareholders of FTX are going to walk away with nothing uh, or conceivably less than nothing, but half of that, half of FTX was owned by SBF. His personal value in 48 hours went from over $16 billion to approximately $900 million. Now, okay, I'm not going to cry crocodile tears or only going to cry crocodile tears for someone who's only, quote unquote, worth $900 million. But the reality of it, reality of it is he lost approximately 95% of his net worth in 48 hours. Now, he does have other assets. And one of the most interesting things about this transaction, where Binance has now signed a non-binding, and CZ really emphasized that for a reason I'll get back to in a second, a non-binding letter, of, uh, a letter of intent to pick up FTX is that is only for the, the letter only covers FTX outside the US. It does not cover FTX US. And the purchase is not from Binance US purchase offer. It's from international Binance. It's sort of an interesting question as to where Binance is headquartered. Uh, FTX, I believe, is headquartered in the Bahamas. So, but that leads me to uh, another issue, which is who's going to keep the uh, brand name? Interestingly, FTX has, has branded stadiums in the U.S. It's branded events in the U.S. So you're going to want to keep FTX U.S., but if the main exchange, which is outside the U.S., is called FTX and owned by somebody different, and there is no, um, there's no interaction between the two, and they have separate, separate owners and, and don't work together anymore, it's a bit ridiculous to have them both branded FTX. Most people initially think, okay, well, you know, the FTX US is going to keep it. Uh, Binance is going to buy FTX overseas, you know, outside the US and, and rebrand uh, FTX either to Binance or uh, into something else. So here's my second out on a limb for the day. And that is, I think CZ is going to force SBF to rebrand FTX US. And that would be absolutely radical. Because if you think about it, why buy FTX if you're going to rebrand it all into Binance? 
Um, it would make much more sense to to keep Binance the way it is and use FTX for projects, for special specialty kinds of investing as essentially uh, as a launch pad or a test pad uh, for other projects, or just get rid of it entirely, take over its assets and get all its traders and consolidate um, into Binance. But there's no way it makes any sense for uh, FTX or rather for Binance to let FTX keep the brand because arguably the only asset in FTX that's worth much of anything directly monetizable is its brand name. So why give away its brand name in or let someone else keep the brand name in the largest market in the world? So it's, a, it's just amazing to watch what uh, is going on here. And now the, the last issue I'll say about this before we, we switch to a the topic, my favorite topic of correlation, I referred to earlier that we'd come back to the terms of a letter of intent. One of the things that's in the letter of intent is that it's non-binding and subject to due diligence. So the letter of intent means absolutely nothing. It can, it, uh, this deal could fall apart tomorrow. And I think that's part of the reason why there was initial euphoria about the news and, and BTC, which had dropped down to 19,500 went to over 20,500. And then I think uh, everyone started reading the fine print and BTC dropped $3,500 in two hours and went from 20,500 down to 17,000. It's recovered also, and we'll talk a little bit more about, about the, the drop when I get to the next subject of correlation. But why did CZ put that in a letter of intent and then really emphasize it in his tweet where he announced the deal? And it's because there's really, it's really questionable as what the, what the value of FTX is, aside from perhaps the name. And one of the things that CZ is going to be able to do is, it's called, especially in the, in the M&A business, retrading. You agree on a certain price, and here the, the price is open, but you have my first prediction, it's zero or negative. But whatever it is, after the due diligence is completed, and it's going to be done very, very quickly by a whole bunch of people just parachuting into the FTX headquarters is going, he's going to retrade. Whatever the terms are now, formal, informal, he's going to come back and say, hey, due diligence, you guys are a disaster. Uh, you're going to have to pay us more or, or whatever the terms were, they're going to get worse after the due diligence. Uh, and that, and CZ is clearly setting the negotiations table to do uh, exactly that. So now we get to correlation. Correlation has been interesting. It was pretty much shattered over the last 48 hours, not in a way I was happy with because the fiat markets have gone up for the last, uh, during the last two trading days. And we'll talk about that in the very last topic for today. Well, uh, obviously, crypto markets have gone down. Now, crypto markets have gone down because there was something very specific happening in the crypto space. Now, notice what happens when there's something, an exogenous event to crypto that drives the fiat markets. Recently, crypto has followed fiat markets. But here we have an exogenous event to fiat markets that drives crypto, and crypto then pays virtually no attention to fiat. So it's uh, clear which is the tail and which is the dog here. Now, that was true for all of yesterday and for most of today, but then there was something very interesting that happened. If you trace the S&P 500 over the same period of time that the crypto markets were open today, you'll see uh, that was, there's was a huge amount of volatility today. It opened pretty much where it closed yesterday. And at one point in time, it was up 
um, about a percent and a half. It hit uh, 3,858. So um, it was up very, very nicely. Stayed there. That was like 1130. Stayed there till about 130 and then dropped. It went from being up one and a half percent to being down about half a percent in about an hour and a half. If you look at crypto in the same place, you'll see it had dropped and dropped and dropped until the tweets came out from both CZ and SBF that, okay, we have a deal. And that's when uh, BTC from Bitcoin, which had drifted to 19,500, popped up a thousand bucks to over 20,000. And then the everyone starts looking at the fine print and Bitcoin drops down to about uh, 18,500. And that's when, at that precise time, uh, I think this is just a, a coincidence that the, the S&P moved down at the same time um, Bitcoin was moving up. I don't think Bitcoin has any real effect on, on what happens on the S&P 500, or at least not yet. The S&P starts to drop and BTC, which has started to recover, it, it, would, it, it dropped, went all the way from 18,000 up to about, uh, up to about 19.5, well, not quite that, up to about 19, and suddenly it plunges. It plunges $2,000 exactly at the moment the S&P starts to drop from one and a half percent up to half a percent down. So on a percentage basis, obviously the Bitcoin move was significantly bigger than the move on the S&P, but they were exactly in sync. And you can't help but think that since BTC and the crypto market in general was really soft because of the FTX Binance developments, even with this bit of good news, people had seen the fine print and sold it down even further. There wasn't a lot of support there and bam, S&P rolls over and BTC and all of crypto follows it because the, there real, really were not any outliers today. The one exception to that was BNB, which is the exchange coin for Binance. It went absolutely nuts today. It started out about uh, 320. It shot up to almost 400 on the, the news and plunged to well under 300 on the fine prints. So it was one of the biggest, uh, the most volatile assets on a very volatile day uh, when people started getting optimistic about a deal, read the fine prints, are getting pessimistic about the deal. BNB, which isn't directly related to the deal, but certainly if Binance, for instance, absorbs FTX, depending on how the, any merger or buyout would take place, it could conceivably have a much bigger field of play and effectively replace or subsume FTT, the FTX exchange token. So crazy day, absolutely huge day. And as if that's not enough, we shift into our last topic today, which is the election uh, in the United States. So the U.S. is voting. I saw a great headline the other day that said, the world wonders why the U.S. can't fix its election problem. Uh, really really fascinating, uh, fascinating take on the problem. And uh, I would submit that the, the reason is because there really isn't that much of a problem that's being uh, exaggerated all out of proportion by one of the parties. There are no, there's never been a problem with fraudulent elections in the United States, at least on a, uh, on a national level outside certain garden spots for election fraud, like the city of Chicago and perhaps the, the state of Louisiana and the city of Boston, if, uh, if history is to be any, any indicator, or Tammany Hall in New York. But aside from you know, local elections 
a hundred or more years ago, uh, very, very solid elections, elections in the United States, except for people who are, are making hay by using uh, accusations to the contrary. But in any event, because of that, I referred to before that the correlation broke where fiat markets are going up and, and crypto markets are going down. The reason fiat markets are going up is because of election prospects. Now, it's interesting why. Uh, the while, while people who want to see legislation of, of any type, whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, or independent, want to see legislation passed, what you, will, what you want then is, if you're if a Democrat or Republican, depending on which one you are, you want all three centers of power for this purpose, that is the House, the Senate, and the President, held by a single party. And usually a lot happens at that point in time because obviously uh, they can push their legislation through. That really hasn't been the case for the first two years of the Biden administration because even though technically the Democrats held the Senate, it was a 50-50 tie and the vice president uh, is actually the, the president of the Senate, strangely enough. So the head of the Senate is called the president pro tempore and pro tempore in Latin means temporary. So the head of the Senate is sitting in for the real president of the Senate, who is the vice president of the country. So the VP, uh, Kamala Harris, would swing by and break ties. And so it would be a 51 to 50 vote, which is sort of interesting since there are only 100 senators. Not something that's been used a lot in the history of the United States, but it's been used quite a bit in the last two years. Not all that much, however, because two senators, uh, Manchin from West Virginia and Sonoma from Arizona, are not what you would call mainstream Democrats. They have some very particular beliefs because of their individual state in the case of Manchin and because of the political leanings of the state in, uh, in Arizona. So they've not, they've not adhered to the Democratic line as much as uh, certainly the other 48 Democrats do and as much as usually been the case in the past. They really are outliers from a historical perspective. So in any event, it was difficult for the Democrats to get much done, even though they controlled the three centers of power. What's almost certainly going to happen, and the polls are just closing now, literally as I, as I speak, and it's now uh, about 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, so it's 7 p.m. on the East Coast of the United States. Some early polling stations have closed, but mainly they're gonna start closing at, in an hour at, at 8 p.m. Uh, EST. What, you, what will almost certainly happen is that the House will shift from Democratic control to Republican control. And this almost always happens during midterm elections, right? Elections that happen two years after the prior presidential election and two years before the next one. The party in power almost always, the only like three exceptions in the last hundred years, almost always loses seats. And if you step back from the emotions, what you'll see is actually the Democrats are probably gonna lose fewer seats than the party in power usually does during uh, a, a midterm election. It doesn't always result in the control of one or both uh, houses of, of Congress shifting from one party to the other, because if, if you're ahead by 50 and you lose 40, you're still ahead, right? So you're still the majority. But in this case, it will result in a switch, almost certainly from Democrat to Republican control. The Senate's pretty much a 50-50 shot that it'll break its 50-50 split. That's about, uh, it's about as ambiguous as you get. Now, obviously, the president will stay in power. So what you're going to have, regardless of what happens, is you're going to have a split in power. That is going to drive markets 
up because, uh, strange as it sounds, the uh, markets like or the economy likes, Wall Street likes a paralyzed Congress because they can't do much, they can't change anything. And I mentioned before, um, and pardon my French, if you, would you rather work for someone who's a great boss one day and an asshole the next day, or would you rather work for a boss, you obviously rather work for a boss who's great every day, but if your choice is between a guy who's random and a guy who's an asshole every day, you'd rather work for a guy who's an asshole every day because you can plan and you can predict. That's what business wants. And even if you don't like the current state of affairs, given regulation and taxation and whatever else that you're mostly concerned about, there are not going to be a lot of changes in the rules of the game over the next two years with a split Congress, regardless of whether it's one or two houses of, of Congress that go Republican and a Democratic Senate. That is generally positive for Wall Street. And what you have had over the last 48 hours is Wall Street front running election results. Because Wall Street really can't lose, unless by some near miracle the Democrats keep both houses of Congress, at which point in time you'll see uh, the, the fiat markets uh, really take a step back. Uh, unless, unless that, other than in that very unlikely eventuality, <coughs> you're going to have something akin to paralysis, except for a very, very few uh, exceptions, such as EV legislation that was in the Inflation Reduction Act, such as support for the Ukraine, even though the Republicans may trim that back a little bit. There are some uh, issues that reach across the aisle, but there are very few of them left in the United States. And that means you're generally going to have paralysis, which is perceived by Wall Street as very good because that whatever the rules of the game are, the music has stopped, you're sitting on the chairs. These are the rules we're going to live with for the next two years. And so they know, they know how to plan, work through it. And the only thing business has to worry about is the FOMC and how much they're going to raise interest rates by. So with that very interesting day almost behind us, the, the, the excitement on the crypto in the crypto sphere is behind us. The excitement in the, in the fiat sphere where the elections is just about to start. So we'll have a lot to talk about in the next broad, uh, podcast as well. With that, I'll sign off and I hope you all have a great week.